0: This is week number four of our series, Life Principles According to Jesus. And uh, I would encourage you to tune in to the past. I have a little bit of a, I don't know, feedback or something up here in my monitors, please. But I would encourage you to tune in if you missed the last three weeks. Um, We're looking at some of Jesus' first lessons of of life and ministry right after his followers started to gather. And in doing this, we're focusing on his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 to 7. And last week we looked at the topics of purity and consecration and the sins of adultery and fornication. I don't know if it sounds weird to you. It sounds so strange to me up here. Sister Sarah, do I sound weird out there? This, it, it sounds very strange up here. Um, I'm sorry. So uh, I, the, the music sounded awesome though. And, uh, but we, we, we just finished looking uh, discussing adultery and sexual sin last week. And now he begins to talk about marriage and divorce, and uh, so today we're going to look at this specific in this series, The Life Principles According to Jesus, we're going to look at this specific message title, and that is The Value of the Vow, The Value of the Vow. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you, God, for everything that you are doing, and we just trust, God, that in in this community, in this church, God, you have a plan for 2021, you're going to do great mighty, miraculous things. God, you're already doing great, mighty, miraculous things. And so please just continue, Lord. Let us continue to walk in your will, your plan, your way, that this year is going to just be everything that you are calling it to be and wanting us to do and be in it. In your name we pray, in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Amen. So much of what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount is contrasting the law of Moses and his teaching. And he had already told the crowd that he was not looking to tear down or destroy the law of Moses. He was looking to fulfill the law of Moses. But basically, the law existed to make humankind uh, uh, really aware of their need for a Savior. And so the law was not enough. Jesus was trying to get them to look at their heart and not just the letter of the law. And so after he finished, he finished talking about adultery, he then warns them about how divorce can also result, it can be a result of adultery. And so um, we look at Matthew chapter 5 verse 31. It says, you've heard the law say that a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written note of divorce. But I say, again, note, you'll see this next couple weeks, we've already looked at the last couple weeks There's a theme where he says, you've heard it said, but I say, you've heard it said, but I say, you've heard it. So he, a great greatest teachers, they work from the known to the unknown. So you've heard it said, but I say, you've heard it said, but I say. So he says, I I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Now, again, not really gender-inclusive language in the, in the original manuscripts and, and, and even in King James English of 14, 1500s, but uh, that really could be anyone who marries a divorced person it's talking about. And So based on Scripture, what we just read there, Jesus allows only one legitimate reason for divorce based on what we see in Scripture. And that is sexual infidelity. Based on Scripture, that's what we see. And so Scripture forbids casual divorce. Nothing in Scripture affirms the approach of, well, I just don't find her attractive anymore. Or, I just fell out of love with him. We don't have anything in Scripture that shows that. And so notice that Jesus is giving principles to his followers, not to unbelievers. He, he, he's talking to these followers that had gathered around, and there's always grace for anyone, okay? Even if you are here in person, watching online, if you have been divorced multiple times, there's always grace, okay? Okay? While we see Jesus reach to, you look at the, even if you've been divorced multiple times, we see Jesus reach to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, and he tells her private information about the fact that she's had five husbands. And he says, and the man you're currently with is not your husband. And so that's probably why this woman at the well was going there in the, in the heat of the afternoon, because she was trying to avoid All of the stigma that comes with, oh, there's the woman that she's been with that guy, that guy, that guy, that and so she's coming probably in the heat of the afternoon, trying to avoid everybody. So much to her surprise, she comes across Jesus. Why are you even talking to me? I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. Jews hate Samaritans. Why are we having this conversation? But Jesus was reaching to her, reaching to her heart and to her soul. And so he says, yeah, yeah, hey, how's, how's your husband doing? Uh, well, oh, yeah, actually, I know you've had five husbands. The one you're with is not your husband. And so you can imagine maybe she felt that shame. That uh, But Jesus says, no, 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 no. If you drink from the water that I have, you'll never thirst again. And, and so we see his grace and his mercy reaching out to this woman. He, he did not show up to condemn her. He came to reach for her, and so even though she's living in adultery, and she's experienced adultery and fornication, but he reaches to offer living water, and her testimony brings essentially the whole city to Jesus. And so sometimes our greatest failures can be the, the, the most wonderful testimony to impact the lives around us. And so I say that to say, don't let any sin or mistake, anything, anything that you are ashamed of, or you don't want to tell people, or I I wish I didn't do that, or we all have things that we look back and say, well, I wish I didn't do that. But don't let any sin or mistake or past circumstance keep you from not only being used by God, but also just, just telling others, sharing your testimony, and letting people know That there's life and hope even after failure, sin, and even in this case, I know a lot of times this is a sensitive topic because in our day and age, you know, they say that, what, half of marriages are ending in divorce, and so God is, uh, we're looking at teaching that's saying that's not okay. We want to do something about that. But there's times where, where things have happened even before Christ or before I walked with God. And so there's a lot of shame that can come with that. And so it's a sensitive thing because I know for some of you, this is a very real topic. This is something that no doubt people watching online, even here tonight, have experienced divorce for whatever reason. And so this is something that people can go, ah, but can I still be used? Can, does God still, I mean, did, you don't know what, I, and, and others of you, you're going, no, no, you don't know my circumstance. I'm at peace. So again, depending on where you're at, this message might be conviction for something about your thinking about doing. This message could be healing and and for something that you've experienced that there's there's pain in your past. And so we're just going to look at what God says here because I will say that based on what I see in scripture, there's life in God after divorce. And so Jesus is just trying to make sure that his New Testament believers, because humanity pushed so much under Moses, that Moses got to the point where it's just like, fine, you can write a bill of divorce. I don't, really, I don't really see that being the will of God. Because since the beginning of time, The marriage was a type and shadow of the church. That's why we're known as the bride of Christ. But Jesus is trying to let them know that divorce is not something that's acceptable just because the rest of society was saying it's acceptable. Marriage is, again, that type and shadow of God's relationship to the church. We are, as the church, the bride of Christ. And those vows were not just physical vows. They're spiritual vows for better or for worse, for rich or for poor, until death do us part. And it's interesting because you go to Romans and Paul says neither death nor life nor principalities, he says, shall separate us from the love of God. So if we're the bride of Christ, not even death itself can cause separation between us. And so... When when we enter into that covenant relationship as the bride of Christ, nothing causes us to be separated. And so this is how a marriage covenant should be here on this earth. We make a covenant before God and humankind to love in every up and every down forever and ever. And both a husband and a wife are given some pretty high standards to live up to here. Because Paul writes to the Ephesian church and he says, wives... Submit, your hus- submit your, to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, I know a lot of ladies are like, man, that scripture stinks. And some guys I know, they love to, that's like their favorite scripture in the whole Bible. See, sometimes the people, not only for salvation, but life, we get ourselves into problems where we just pick and choose. Like, I love that verse, and I just, and then we don't read everything leading up to the verse and everything after the verse. Because certainly, God has called men, and that's not popular in, the 20, in 2021, but God has called men to be a leader in the home. But then he goes on and he says, and husbands, before you get too excited, you are the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And he says, as the church submits to Christ, your wife should submit to husbands. But he says, husbands, I have something for you. You need to love your wife like Christ loved the church. And was willing to give himself for her. So if you don't understand that, guys, we are called to love our wives. We're being called to the most perfect love ever to exist in humankind. Such a sacrificial love that he was willing to die and give himself for his bride. And we read, love is patient, love is kind. It keeps no record of wrong. I mean, like, we read this, In weddings but you think about it what if the church lived that way and so we are called as men to love our wives like christ loved the church and was willing to give that is the most selfless love that i still am not even close to living up to and so really we both have some real unique challenges that are placed before us in scripture and so Paul later begins teaching the same things that Jesus taught when he first launched his public ministry back here in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you ready? We're going to go some in-depth teaching on marriage. So no matter what, you're divorced, never been married, married right now, thinking about getting married, this will be for everybody. Because Paul gets ready to teach Jesus his Sermon on the Mount. He's, he's going through this. But then Paul revisits it more in depth with a church that is having issues. That's why I'm so thankful for the Corinthian church. They were so messed up. They were so messed up. They had so many problems, so many issues. You have never been a part of any church in anywhere in the world that's as messed up as the Corinthian church. But I'm thankful for it because now that's like points of learning for us. And so in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, those who are married, I have a command that comes not from me, but from the Lord, a wife must not leave her husband. But if she does leave him, let her her remain single, or else be reconciled to him, and the husband must not leave his wife. Now, we already read from Jesus about this one circumstance where he says, no one should divorce except for marital infidelity, except for sexual sin. So, So we know that Jesus said that. But Paul now says, you're just going to go and leave someone, then you, you, you can't just, just, oh, yeah, she, she's not attractive today. Well, yeah, you know what? He, he lost his job, and he's not attractive, and, and I'm not, and, yeah, you know what? And she don't work hard enough around this house, and I'm done. Like, we don't, we don't see that in Scripture. He says, if you're going to leave someone, you better remain single. He says, now I will speak to the rest of you, though I do not have a direct command. from So the first one was a command from the Lord, he said. Now, he says, I'm going to talk to you. I don't have a direct command from the Lord. If a fellow believer has a wife who's not a believer and she's willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. So there you go. He says, I'm going to break some things down. And thank thank God he did. He says, if you've got someone in the church that's a believer and they're married to an unbeliever and the unbeliever doesn't want to leave, you need to stay. He says, and if a believing wo- a woman has a husband who is not a believer, and she's willing to continue living, he's willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him, for the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage, and the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, but now they are holy. Because at the end of the day, even when we enter, I think every marriage, marriage should not exist just to survive. With this ring, I be wed, and I just pray to God I can make it to the end. Uh, I've seen some marriages where I'm like, I might as well say it. I mean, but, but that's not the goal. That is not God's vision for your marriage. Marriage should not be survival. Marriage should be f- fulfillment. It should, it, should, it should bring two people together that form a team and a beautiful bond. My wife and I, am so excited. I'm so excited. In March, we're going to miss one Sunday. We're going to preach for a church in Wisconsin, and we've been asked to do our first ever joint marriage retreat. I am so excited to do my first marriage retreat with my wife. And so we're going to have some really great stories to tell that with things we do right, and then we'll just laugh about the things we do wrong, and hopefully somebody will learn something. But uh, we told my daughter tonight, we said, we're going to do a, we've got been asked to do this marriage retreat, and we're doing this. She said, well, that's good, because obviously, how'd she say it? She said, it seems to be going pretty well for you guys. (laughs) She started to notice if I hug her or kiss her, and she's like, you guys are gross. So I'm like, well, I guess that's a good thing. She thinks it seems to be going well for us. Uh, But, uh. He "It says it, it, we did not. We're not. We're not here for survival. We're here for, for fulfillment. That that we should come together, and it makes one another's lives better. But now, if we're looking to get married, married, just because look, my life's miserable. I think maybe if I get married, things will be better. They won't. They won't. Because marriage. If you're looking for a certain fulfillment in marriage that only God can bring, you're." you're going to be you're going to bring that misery to the marriage too. And so he says the the believing wife but there's there's holiness there's there's something that is brought to the marriage when you're in it like then he says but if if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving let them go. If someone's an unbeliever and you're married and they say I'm leaving I don't you can't you can't force it, you can't force your love on someone. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. Don't you wives realize about your husbands might be saved because of you? And don't you husbands realize that your wives might be saved because of you? Each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you and remain as you were when God first called you. This is my rule for all the churches. Interesting. Because we get, this is not a, this is an age-old thing, okay? I'll, I'll share, um, my mom is downstairs ministering, so she's not here today. Or she's not in the sanctuary. But um, I know she wouldn't mind me telling the story. If she does, then we'll we'll have a conversation later. But um, so my dad was, for those of you know, just a long story, as short as possible. He's a drug addict. I mean, he would take drugs. My sister and I were born, and he would still take drugs at the table. Um, I mean, like, just not a good person until God got a hold of him. So God gets a hold of him. He's in a treatment center. He couldn't hold a license, couldn't hold a job, was robbing from the, the, the restaurants he worked at in order to pay drug dealers off. Like, messed up. Thank God for grace. And, uh, and so <clears throat> my dad gets into church, and my mom... You know, he's like, gets the Holy Ghost and gets baptized, and my mom has stayed with him through all of this. Like, if you don't like it, leave, woman. Like, I mean, just a bad husband. My mom didn't even take drugs, didn't even drink, didn't smoke. Like, this was not her. But she put up with it, because she married my dad, she loved him, but he was a mess. So now my dad gets the Holy Ghost and gets baptized, and then tells her, you need Jesus, My mom's like, you need to back up for a minute here. So she didn't just jump on board like he wanted her to jump on board. So my dad, in his zeal, sometimes zeal is a great thing, other times you just have to curb it a little bit. He went to my pastor growing up, Pastor Tamil, and he said, so here's the thing, my wife is, she's a heathen. (laughs) And, uh, I think I need to leave her. <laughs> Pastor Samuel looked at my dad and said, Gary, my dad was Gary, I'm um, Gary the second. He says, Gary, you're, how long has your wife stayed with you through not knowing where your car was and doing drugs at your table, spending her money, stealing from her? How long has she stayed with you? And now you're just gonna give her a small space, a window in time because she's not coming to church with you? You need to go home to your wife. And thank her for staying with you for all these years. And of course, my mom was baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost. Still in this church now, even after my dad has passed. And has been faithful all of her life. And has helped with my dad to raise children that are not perfect, but faithful. And so, thank God, right? You don't leave that. And I think... Dude, the Chesters have, Brother Chester, they've shared their story before in the pulpit. See, all these people, I didn't ask him permission, any of these people said. But they've gotten up and shared, Brother Chester shared his story. She's trying to stay faithful. He's at home. He's not interested in really God or church or anything like that. Sarah's in a small group with us, crying, talking about how she wants to bring her boys to church, but her husband won't make them come. And so then, of course, they stay home. And, and, she, and we just said, Sarah... You just keep on keeping on. You be faithful. He's going to see that faithfulness in you. James is now a licensed minister. He just taught deeper waters. How does that happen? It happens because a spouse would not give up, and God starts drawing through the spouse. And so can it be discouraging? I, I can imagine. I'm not in that spot, so I can't sit here and talk like I know. But I can imagine, empathy, how that would be so difficult as a spouse trying to be godly and raise godly children and get them to church. And your spouse is like, no, they can stay home. I'm not going. And your spouse says they're going to go. And then that morning you wake up and you say, are you coming? And they say, no, I'm tired. I was up late. And I, I've heard the stories enough. That as a spouse, that's very discouraging. You're going, God, are you ever going to move or should I just move? And so no doubt that that was obviously happening even in the first century. Paul's saying, listen, you bring holiness to the marriage and to the children. So stay where you're at. Now, if they leave, you can't do anything about that. You're free. He says, but otherwise... Stay where you are because holiness. Because you, he literally says, wives, husbands, you, your spouse might be saved because of you. That's powerful. <laughs> so when I take that vow, if if you got to be patient, you got to be patient. You just keep loving God and being faithful and 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 just and living it in front of them. But again, sexual immorality. Jesus himself says there's a, there's a freedom there to go, and that's why I've counseled people and we talk through those things, and I'm never a fan you know a divorce i, I we always try for restoration because God's got a restoration, but at the end of the day, if someone wants to sleep with someone that's not you and they don't plan on changing and they're not repentant, then I'm going to support the person in making that decision to to end that marriage because that person already ended that marriage and so guess what you're going to have some ups and downs in living for god as the bride of christ we're all the bride of christ in this church right and there's going to be some ups and downs i don't think anybody here watching online has said you know what ever since i came to the altar i haven't made a mistake since And if that's you, I'm going to preach on the sin of pride next week. You're not going to be perfect. You're going to mess up, but God will still love you. In that same way, Paul does not paint a rosy picture of marriage. Matter of fact, I would say he paints a pretty bleak picture of marriage. God inspired. You got to remember, God inspired Paul to write these things. I mean, the guy wasn't even married. But yet he had this insight into marriage. And so... Paul himself was unmarried, and he actually starts to suggest to that particular church, it's to the Corinthian church, you don't see him say to everyone everywhere, in certain circumstances he does, but overall, this letter is to that church in that situation. And so to that church, he actually starts to suggest that they should remain unmarried too. It doesn't mean that this is how he felt for every single church, but that corinthian church was already having all kinds of issues with sexual sin adultery and fornication marriage and divorce and as a matter of fact even jesus when he says one of the signs of the last days is it's going to be like it was in the days of lot what was going on in the days of lot they were marrying in days of noah they were marrying and giving in marriage Anytime that marriage is entered into lightly and people just jump in and out of it, it's a sign of the times you're living in. Because marriage was such a covenant relationship that reflected God's relationship to the church. And so, Paul, he's dealing, that's why, that's why it's, it's talked about in the Old Testament, it's talked about in the New Testament, it's talked about in the letters to the churches, because it's so crucial. And so. Look at some of the things that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 26. He says, because of the present crisis. So obviously he's dealing with a specific thing here. He says, because of the present crisis, I think it's best to remain as you are. If you have a wife, don't seek to end the marriage. If you do not have a wife, don't seek to get married. (laughs) some days if i do too much counseling i get up and i want to say that he says it it, it, i mean he just straight up says this because of the present crisis this wasn't just an issue obviously there was sexual sin rampant in this church because of the present crisis it's best if you're now. obviously you're married stay married if you're not married don't even do it right now don't get married but if you do get married, it's not a sin, he says. And if a young woman gets married, it's not a sin. However, those who get married at this time, they're going to have troubles. And I'm not trying to, I'm, and I'm trying to spare you these problems. That's why I do pre-marriage counseling. That's why we take, I, have, I've, I come across Dr. Les and Leslie Parrott has this amazing, it's called Symbus, it's Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts. Awesome, awesome curriculum. Jacob and Brittany were the first to do it and, and, and take the curriculum, and they were, they, we had so much fun. I had more fun than them, I think. <laughs> but you take these surveys, and you go through it, and you talk about money, and ministry, and tithing, and your thoughts on, on marriage, and your thoughts on sex, and family, and in-laws, because when you get married, you're marrying the whole family. And my mother-in-law said, amen. And so we talk about all kinds of things. Why? Well, aren't you afraid it's going to cause a fight or tension or or issues in pre-marriage counseling? I hope so. I hope so. Because let's figure these things out right now before you get to the altar in front of a group of people. And make a vow. And enter into a relationship because you're going to figure out every single one of those things within the next couple months. So let's go ahead and have really difficult conversations right now. He says, if you didn't know this yet, every marriage has troubles. Is there anybody here that's married that has never had an issue in your marriage? Okay, because, I mean, because... I was going to send you to do the marriage retreat then, because there 's no reason why I should be doing the marriage retreat with her if there 's someone here who 's never had an issue anyway, let, anybody want to talk about your issue no i 'm just kidding <laughs> paul may may very well be speaking of specific troubles of this particular church, but either way, it, every marriage has troubles, every marriage has issues. Every marriage has ups and downs, but that still doesn't take away the fact that even in Paul acknowledging those troubles, there is still a vow, there's still a covenant that's taken in marriage that Jesus himself brings to light on his Sermon on the Mount. Years before Paul's ministry, Jesus addresses this. And then in verse 29, he says, let me say this, dear brothers and sisters, Paul says, the time that remains is very short. So from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Now, that's interesting. Somehow, even though we are married, Paul says that our marriages are not the only thing that we should focus on. Now, some ministry-minded people think that means you should not focus on your marriage and just do ministry. You know what I love about the Bible? It's the most It is the book of balance. I always tell people, I am not going to be the most conservative person you ever meet. I'm not going to be the most liberal person you ever meet. I'm going to preach on the Holy Ghost, but I'm not going to preach on the Holy Ghost every single Sunday. I mean, I love the Holy Ghost. Could you imagine every single Sunday for 2021 hearing a message on the Holy Ghost? I mean, as much as we love the Holy Ghost, there has to be a balance. There has to be a a balanced diet of the word. God's got a God of balance. A false balance is abomination. Now that was written for people who are cheating people out of things and, and all that, but it's still the principle remains in scripture that we should be people of balance. My uh, founding pastor where I grew up always said, let's not be so spiritual we're no earthly good. I don't know many people like that, but it's still a saying. But certainly our first ministry is our family. I was talking to my kids tonight and And we were saying something about, somebody was saying something about how pastoring is the greatest thing in their life. And it's wonderful. I said, you know the greatest thing? I said, over preaching general conference, thousands of people. I got the chance to play a little board game of sorry with my kids today. I I won. I just want you to know. (laughs) That whole letting your kids win stuff? Nah. Not in our house. You got to fight. You got to fight. But I just want you to know I won. And uh, I said to them, I said, you know what? I'd play this board game of sorry over preaching any general conference any day of the week. Why? Because to me, I want my kids to know and to hear regularly that they are the number one, like they are my number one ministry over anything else that goes on. And so I think that that's important, and I try to live that. But earlier in the chapter, Paul discusses how our bodies actually belong to our spouse. Now, I'm not going to go too far into that, because it'll make some of you very uncomfortable. I already talked about sexual sin last week. I, don't, I want you all to come back next week. If I push it too hard, I'm going to lose my audience. You can take that, but that's scripture. Our bodies belong to our spouses, but here with times short, we must learn. What Paul's saying here is we have to learn to minister to our families while we're still fulfilling the ministry that God has called us to. That's not impossible. It's not impossible. I don't care how much we have going on. We should all be able to prioritize our family while still doing the ministry of the Lord. And if we say, well, I don't know how to do that, well, then we have to look at our calendar, write it out, and say, okay, as Andy Stanley would say, I choose to cheat. I choose to cheat somewhere. Every day, you're not going to be able to watch uh, two hours of your sitcom, play video games, uh, work out, go to school, have a profession, climb the corporate ladder, teach Bible studies, be involved in ministry, uh, watch the stock market, and and, and, and like to work on cars. I mean, we can't join the golf membership, the golf club. We can't do all those things every day. So we have to say, okay, well, I'm going to choose to cheat somewhere. So what is the priority? Well, the more you add to that, it's amazing how much more time I had when I was just working and married to my wife. Then all of a sudden you're doing ministry, and then all of a sudden you have a kid, and then a second kid, and then a third kid, and then a dog, and then a second dog. <laughs> and then people calling you to do things, and it's just, woo! I mean, at some point you go, okay, I have to, look and see where, what is most important. I prioritize that, and everything else falls in line behind that. But Paul says time is short. Yes, you're married, and that's great, but you know what? Time's short. God's called you to ministry. You don't just walk away from your family. You stay there, and you, you pour into that. Wives, submit yourself to your husband. Husband, love your wives like Christ loved the church, but in all that, we don't just use it as, a, as an excuse and just step away from ministry. Somehow we're finding the balance of, of okay, if we're ignoring family for ministry, we're outside the will of God. If all we do is spend time with family and ignore God's call on our lives, we're also outside the will of God. So we find that balance. And Paul goes on to explain why he would never why he would ever tell someone to be single like him. And this is part of the reason why. Verse 32 I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. And guys are like, yeah, and go hunting and fishing and shooting and golfing. And... But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. You guys are so smart for not saying amen. In the same way, a woman who's no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband and work in the career and take care of children and do all these other things that God has called... Women to do or women feel the burden to do. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you, it's not a law. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. I thank God for that last portion where, God, where he inspires Paul to say, this is not a rule, this is not a law, I'm just trying to look out for you. I'm thankful for that, that it's not a law because I am not called to be single. People said your wife spoils you. I'm like, What am I supposed to say? I love it. Am I supposed to say, no, she doesn't? No, she, and I love it. I I love it. She's awesome. And I love being married. She makes me better, ministry better, the church better, my family better. And so it's great. And hopefully I add some kind of value to her life too. I'll, I'll just pretend I do at this point. You notice she said amen on the first part, and she didn't say amen on the second part. Does anybody do marriage counseling? And for those stuck in miserable marriages wondering when they can get out, I feel bad for you. And you don't have to live that way. I think if someone's in a miserable marriage, you should do everything you can to to, to find counseling, to see someone, to, to work to, to see what you can do and what... And I understand sometimes a spouse, I'll do counseling, they won't. Well, just go for yourself then. Because it's not God's will that you're stuck in a miserable marriage. And never lose hope because God, as Paul said, you, your spouse can be saved because of you. God can literally use you in your actions to reach your spouse. And so Paul gives guidance in verse uh, 739. A wife is bound to her husband as long as she lives, as long as he lives. If her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes. But only if he loves the Lord. I covered this last week with the youth up here, and that's why I didn't want to shy away from that. I wanted those young people to know about sexual sin and to know about God godly relationships. But he says, yeah, your husband dies, your spouse dies, marry anybody you want. Uh, but they better love the Lord. But in my opinion, it'd be better for her to stay single. And I think I'm giving you this counsel from God's spirit when I say this. Only if she loves the Lord. But he says, but again, I'm working for the king. I'm, Paul's moving all over the place, planting churches everywhere. He's like, everyone should do this. But it's not a law. Paul was the one in his second letter to the Corinthians in 6.14. He's the one that says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? Notice, notice when he said you're married to an unbeliever, unless there's sexual infidelity, in which case you can choose what you're going to do there. But if you're married to an unbeliever, you stay there because it brings holiness to the home. It can can bring holiness and you can save your spouse. But when you're looking for a relationship, he says, don't team up with someone that doesn't love God like you do. Don't be yoked to an unbeliever. Your you're, 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 you're job, your calling, two people going and trying to pull in opposite directions, it's not going to work very well. And so don't intentionally place yourself in this position. If you're there, stay there. But... Don't team up. Don't put yourself there. And so Paul just really expounds on the life lessons that Jesus laid out years before him at the Sermon on the Mount. Paul dealt with real-life questions and issues from, real life, from a real-life church. I'm thankful for the Corinthians. And going back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus finishes talking about divorce and remarriage by going into the important topics that are linked to those topics. And that's the concept of vows and covenant. God is a God. You look all the way back. Abraham, I want to make a covenant with you. Here's the token of the promise. Noah, I'm going to make you covenant. There's a token of the promise. And even today, the Holy Ghost, here's the covenant. Here's a token of the promise. I'm going to fill you with my spirit. All through scripture, he is a God of covenant. So he never takes covenant lightly. And neither should we. And so, Matthew 5, 33, he said, You have also heard, there it is again, that our an- ancestors were told, You must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows by- that you made have make to the Lord. But I say, don't make any vows. What? Don't say, by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. Don't say, by the earth, the earth is his footstool. Don't say, by Jerusalem, it's the great city of the king. Don't even say, by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Do I dare digress on this for one second? I don't think it was ever God's will for his people to intentionally change their hair color because they didn't like the way God made them or they didn't like the process that it went through when they got older. It was never God's will. Sometimes scripture's there for encouragement, reproof. Sometimes it's correction. He says, just say a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. My, I? Because God wanted his people to be a people of Covenant. I need to I swear, I promise, I'll buy Jerusalem by the heavens, brother. He says, You need to just be a person when you say yes, it's yes. You say no, it's no. That people know when you say something, you are a person of your word, that you are a person of covenant. And that is not he does not say just in the church. That's something that we should have that reputation. If we're going to be salt and light, we should have that reputation. Because remember, he just said this, the topic of marriage, adultery, divorce, remarriage. Jesus is emphasizing the value of the vow. Don't just jump in and out of marriage and don't value the vow. Don't just throw your word around and get to the point where people go, yeah, right. I've heard him say that. She says that stuff all the time. She ain't going to be there. She ain't going to follow through. He never follows through. Because that's a reflection of him. And he's saying, if they can't value your vow, that's a reflection on me and what I'm telling you. So let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. And so if there's only one place and one ministry that I vow should never be taken lightly, it's in the ministry of marriage. And as I close, remember, right after the opening of the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus immediately shared his expectation. He says to the crowd, right after the Beatitudes, you are called to be salt in light, a reflection of me. If we throw our word around and it doesn't mean anything, not just in marriage, but any avenue of life, then how can we preach a message to others about covenant if we don't value the vow? If we're out telling everybody, God's got a covenant. He wants to make a covenant. He'll never leave you and forsake you. I'm telling you. And we are doing things in life that don't value the vow. It's very confusing for the world around us. And so if you sign up for ministry, do that ministry faithfully and be there. Get married and work to be the best spouse in the entire world and never stop. Oh, Bless God, honey, I told you i love you on the day I got married. If it changes, I'll let you know. Let's just set up counseling now. Sign up for the stewardship campaign. See it through to the end and teach your children to do the same. Tell your boss you'll work overtime. Don't cut out early when the employer's not looking, especially with all the security cameras now. No, but be a person of your vow. Why? Because what is integrity? Integrity is what you are when no one sees. So that everybody that interacts with us knows that's a person of their word. They say they're going to give, they're going to give. If they say they're going to be there, they're going to be there. If they sign up, they're committed. I want to be that person. Why? Because that's a reflection of who Jesus Christ is. The value of the vow. Let's stand to our feet. I've said a lot of things. This, 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 this chapters. I thought it'd be like four weeks. We're still going because I'm taking my time because the Sermon on the Mount is jam packed with life principles for every area of life. Jam packed. And so chances are there's going to be something in here that really ministers to you. There's going to be things that it's going to encourage you and things that it's going to rebuke and correct. And so you have to make your decisions, I have to make mine, and we all have to follow what God's laying out before us to the best of our ability. But the beauty is, even when he corrects, I love how there's always grace. Go and sin no more, but I mean, like, rise up. Your sins are forgiven. I mean, like, he always, there's always hope. And our greatest failure. Did you imagine what that lady felt like? That Samaritan woman at the well. She's got five husbands. The one she's with isn't her husband. He says, "How's ah, your husband doing?" Oh. Just like here we go again. And he says, "No, no, no. I got, I got water that you'll drink. You're drowned from this one. You're never gonna thirst again. I got something so supernatural. Yeah, but you just told me about my past." I'm here to look for your future. I love that. No matter what your past looks like, you say, Jesus, the rest rest of everything else forward is yours if you're willing to take it. And he is. So I invite you to just find a place to pray before you leave tonight. Pray about whatever it is that God spoke to you through these life principles this evening. And maybe it's just a word of encouragement that you can say, God, thank you so much. Jesus, help us, Lord, to be the men and women that you're calling us to be in person here tonight, watching online. God, help our hearts to be right because at the end of the day, that's what you emphasized over and over that our hearts would be right. So help us to examine our hearts when we bring the gift to the altar about forgiveness, about sexual sin, immorality, adultery, Lord, our, our, our word, yea be yay and nay be nay. Lord God, help us. To just examine ourselves so that we reflect you every day, not just on Sundays, not just on Wednesdays, every day that we reflect you with the way we carry ourselves, God. Lord, in your name, oh Jesus, speak to your church today.